Hi, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Linda Holmes. When you think about a positive attitude, maybe it sounds like it's about the promise of the future. But what if a positive attitude is about making it so that the future doesn't even matter at all? Dr. Henry Marsh is a celebrated British neurosurgeon. He's written books already about his experiences working with the brain. But his life took a turn a couple of years ago when he was told he had advanced prostate cancer. He writes about it in his new book, And Finally. By the way, if you're surprised that a doctor's cancer might be found when it's already advanced, he talks to NPR's Scott Simon about that. It's not as unusual as you might think. But he also talks about how, with his cancer in remission, he's at peace because he doesn't think about the future. He says that for him, it just doesn't exist. This message comes from NPR sponsor LiveRight, publishers of Left for Dead. Shipwreck, treachery, and survival at the edge of the world by Eric J. Dolan. The true story of five castaways abandoned on the Falkland Islands during the War of 1812. Available wherever books are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. Henry Marsh had spent four decades in neurosurgery, trying to find a balance, as he puts it, between detachment and compassion. Then he became a patient himself, diagnosed with an incurable form of prostate cancer. Looking over the cliff of life into his own mortality inspired his latest book about the race between life and death, the way we will all, God willing, a phrase I don't think Dr. Marsh would use, one day just fall apart. His book, and finally, Matters of Life and Death, Dr. Marsh, who's also author of the best-selling Do No Harm and a commander of the British Empire, joins us from London. Thanks so much for being with us. It's a pleasure. How could a world-renowned doctor miss so many signals you said you had that you were ill? Because I'm a human being and a typical doctor. And I think the typical doctors, we divide the human race into us who are doctors and them who are patients. And illness only happens to patients. So it was a combination of sort of excessive detachment and denial at a deep, more or less unconscious level. It's not unusual for doctors, I'm told, to present late with their cancer. And what was it like to go from being a revered figure in hospital scrubs to some guy in a gown with a flap over his derriere? To be honest, I thought it was funny. (laughs) I was able to laugh at myself. I mean, it's not nice being a patient, but it kind of appealed to my sense of the absurd in a way (laughs) that having been this all-powerful surgeon, I was now just another old man with prostate cancer. Did you find doctors, as I'm afraid I have noticed when I've been in a hospital, doctors talking to each other right over the patient's head as if the patients weren't there? That didn't happen to me, but I know it happens a lot. I was just talking to my sister, who uh, has been in hospital recently, and it had exactly that phenomenon. It's because, well, it's partly, as doctors, we have to be detached to some extent from patients, particularly if you do very dangerous surgery, as I did. And patients rarely have ever criticized doctors to their face. Well, because we're afraid you'll pull the plug on us. Exactly. As a patient, one is terrified of displeasing the person upon whom your life depends, particularly surgeons, particularly brain surgeons. Tell us about 
that detachment you write about that's necessary for a surgeon to operate. It's not necessarily to the exclusion of compassion, but detachment has to take over. As soon as you become a doctor, you learn, I don't think anybody ever told me this, but the most frightening thing for a patient is a frightened doctor. And as a young doctor, and even as a senior doctor, you're often pretty anxious, given the nature of the work. Patients want you to be calm, assured, encouraging, and you have to sort of swallow your doubts and anxieties. And of course, the best way to deceive other people is to deceive oneself. And I think all doctors, particularly at the beginning of their careers, we sort of pump up our self-esteem with a considerable amount of pretense, although it's quite fragile. You believe that that doctors, I, I won't put it this way, lying to, but you think doctors should humor their patients. Very much so. And this is another difficult balancing act you have to do between being honest, you must never lie to patients, but you must never deprive them of hope. Um, more or less, and sometimes that is very, very difficult. But, of course, the way you talk to people, if you say there is a 5% chance this could kill you, is very different from saying, look, there's a 95% chance everything will be fine. Yes, there's a small risk things might go badly. You can give them the same statistical information with a very different sort of emotional framing to it. Your cancer, I gather from everything I've read, is now in remission. Yes, and I don't know for how long. <laughs> do you see every day in a different way now? Well, I do now. It's, it's very interesting, actually. Um, I had two years of hormone therapy, which, as I discuss in the book, is essentially chemical castration. Lots of side effects, most of them irritating but bearable, weight gain, slight breast development, getting muscular weakness. What I didn't realize until I came off it two months ago is that it really profoundly affected my mood. And I was actually quite depressed and felt very gloomy about my future and was ruminating morbidly about what time I had left. For the last few weeks, I've been completely happy. I've got my next PSA in three weeks' time. It may well show my PSA is starting to go up and the cancer's coming back. Totally to my surprise, I've acquired this sort of Buddhist Zen outlook. Well, the future doesn't exist. I'm well, I'm happy at the moment. I've had a wonderful, exciting life. I've made lots of mistakes. I've trampled on people. Yeah, 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 as I discuss in my books. But at the moment, today, the sun is shining. I'm very well. It's not that I'm in denial, but I think, well, all right, it may be bad news in three weeks' time, but that's three weeks away. At the moment, I'm well. I'm going to chance this question with you, Doctor, having stared life and, and, for that matter, your own death in the face. What's important in life? What should we really try to achieve? A close, loving family and work position in society which is meaningful, which is about making the world a better place rather than getting a bigger, having a bigger bank account. Dr. Henry Marsh's new book, and finally... Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you very much. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch.
This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little breaks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.